Hello, everybody. Welcome out to another edition of Peace, Love, and Hot Sauce, the quarantine edition. We are with none other than songwriter Mr. Mark Dubin. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing uh, as good as I can be, sitting in quarantine the last uh, 23, 24 days now. <laughs> Bored. <laughs> it's uh, running out of things to not do, you know. Um, where did you grow up and what brought you to the wonderful world of music? <laughs> I, uh, I was born and bred in Chicago. And uh, my parents were, uh, they, they ran, uh, well, my father ran... Uh, restaurants and nightclubs on uh, on rush street in the early 70s huh. and my mom was uh was actually a, a dj on one of the radio stations up there did and, i know uh, that yeah yeah we had talked about that <laughs> yeah shoot that was one of the ties that brought us together right? that's right okay yeah yeah in fact i think my dad ran uh mothers which is where like shaka khan and rufus started and all that stuff man and uh, Chicago started the CTA, and, and uh, yeah, so I just kind of grew up in a household where there was just like an abundance of, of records, you know. Hmm. And uh, yeah, and I would just listen to that stuff. My mom was pretty, uh, was really into like you know R and B, Motown, soul, and, and all that stuff. And my dad was a little bit more poppy. He was into like the bubblegum pop music of the '60s. So. I just grew up listening. And my mom was like really heavily into country too, so I got to listen to all that. And, wow. uh, and I don't know. Yeah, just growing up listening to music. I mean, I don't think that there was a time anywhere in, in my youth that I didn't think about being a musician. You know? Did Until my dad finally bought me a guitar at 14. Wow. What kind of guitar was it? Do you remember it? Oh, my God, dude. It was like a... Uh... <laughs> It was, the, it was called a hurricane. <laughs> dude, it was, uh, I actually, what had happened is uh, we were going through a rough patch, the family financially. And uh, for my birthday, my dad was like, all right, I'll buy you one gift, whatever you want to do. And he bought me a, uh, a guitar and guitar lessons from the Musicians Exchange. Wow. Yeah, back in the 80s. And so I picked out like the most like punk rock metal guitar that they had at the time and, uh, and and I took lessons and the cool thing was is that uh, above the musicians exchange if you remember there was that blues bar yes and when I was like 14 15 I would take lessons on Friday nights downstairs and then they and then my father would leave me there and they would actually bring me upstairs and I could check out all the all the bands that were playing and so I got to see like Everybody, because back in the '80s, you know, the blue, you know, the, the, the blue blues guys weren't making much money. Well, they, hey, hello, they still, still aren't. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I got to see, I got to see like a lot, lot of crazy good stuff, man. A lot of good stuff. Do you? Did you see any of the bands that played up there when you were a kid? <sighs> you know, the, the standouts that that, that that really stood out to me were like. Um, or, or, or I think I saw Danny Gatton over there. Wow. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, is it Lonnie Mack? What? Those guys weren't. Yeah, 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 yeah. They all played there. Everybody played there. Everybody there was also played this, there. this this local. Yeah, there's this local girl. 
I think I saw John Lee Hooker there. <laughs> but there was this local chick that played. I mean, back then, you know, when I was 14, like, I didn't really know who they were. I didn't learn to appreciate that stuff till a little bit later, you know? Like, I was into, like, Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and, and all that. So, you know, I wasn't. You know, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Like, all these old black dudes playing. I was like, what's going on? But they were cool, dude. They were way cool. I learned to appreciate it. But there was this local girl. It wasn't like Big Mama Cass. Oh, God. Yeah, she used to play at Cheers. Yeah, she used to play at Cheers. She was like, dude, she built out some tunes, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um... And that was and that was it. And then I, I learned how to love it. There was a guy that right. To, so I want to talk about getting like full on culture. So the musicians exchange at the time was in it was a kind of in a seedy place, you know, Sunrise yeah. Boulevard and Powerline. That was not the, <coughs> the best place in the world. So I would have to we would have to drive through this terrible neighborhood, and then my dad would drop me off there. Across the street at the gas station, there was a guy that used to make barbecue. And right. so I would get barbecue from, like, the guys that would, like, cook it in the in the big, like, oil drums. Right. I'd get that, and then I'd, and then I'd take my guitar lesson, and then I'd go upstairs and, and, and check out some of the blues guys. Um, how old were you when you were in your first band? And what kind of music? Uh... Well, you know, I was like, I was, uh, like I said, I was, I was totally really uh, groomed on punk rock. And at the time I was a little skate kid. So, you know, I was like Black Flag and the Descendants and uh, uh, Circle Jerks, Dead Kennedys and all that stuff. And then, um, and then at the time, like when I wanted to get into a band, I think I was about 15, 16 years old. But at the time, glam rock was like super popular, right? All that hair metal. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to play, like, in, in bars and, and, like, pick up chicks, you know? Like, that's really what I wanted to do when I was 15. Like, I had no... There was, yeah, there was no, like, musical credibility. I, I was, it was definitely not about, you know, being a master of my craft. So, it was literally about, you know, getting into bars and, and picking up chicks. So then I decided there was a, a guy, Brian Baker, who used to play in a band called Meyer Threat. And... Uh, he had quit playing punk rock and started a glam rock band. Hmm. And so since he did it, I thought, I think he played in a band called Junkyard. So when he did it, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play glam rock too. So my first, yeah, my first gig was, I think I was 16 years old at the Button South. For wow. Thunder Thursday, yeah, I played guitar for. Uh, do you remember that dude, Steve Hoffman? Oh yeah, man, he just he passed away. <laughs> he passed away know, about dude. a couple years ago. Uh, he I was know, so nice. I know. He was amazing, man. He really was one of the first guys that uh, took me under his wing and kind of taught me, you know, a lot of stuff about being a musician. Actually, huh. as, as funny as that sounds, yeah. Did he? Would he? Back then, would would he uh, take his leg and put it above his head? Totally, dude. <laughs> he did that. Back yeah, then. totally. Yeah, he used to wear a wig. He used to wear a wig on because I got me and you know Dan Saratelli, right? Yeah. So me and Dano, we actually started playing together, uh, and we learned how to play guitar with each other 
back in the day because we both were recruited by Steve Hoffman to play in his band. And it was like the Miami Dolls or something. Oh. Yeah, and we and that was our first gig at the Button. And uh, yeah, he did the whole leg thing. And then what happened is he had called me, he had a cover band on the side called the DAs. Okay. And they had played like 50s and 60s music at like the biker bars and the pool halls. And one night he called me and he's like, Mark, I, I, I need your help. My guitar player quit and the DAs and I, and I need you to fill in. And mind you, Joel, dude, I'm like 16 years. I don't know how to play covers, really. I, I've never heard half of the stuff from the 50s and 60s. I, I, don't, I have no clue. And, uh, and he booked and he, he grabbed me and put me in his band. And uh, at 16, I was playing biker bars and pool halls not knowing any of the songs that you asked me to play. He would just be like, oh, we're going to take requests right now, and I'd be panicking. <laughs> and then he would look at me, and then they would say, like, Pink Cadillac, and Steve would often would look at me, and he'd be like, Marky, Pink Cadillac, and ye, watch, uh, you know, Tommy for the changes. One, two, three, come on. <laughs> I would just be like, that's how I learned, bro. I had to cut my teeth. <laughs> oh, I remember when he would come in when I was with the Hepcat Boo Daddies, he would come, <laughs> he would come into the poorhouse, and I would just crack up because you know he 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 would make me laugh just you know just yeah, <laughs> and he, he would totally just he was the best front man. I was I was just like in awe watching him, you know, perform because he was like that's the way to fuck freaking do it, dude. You know? Absolutely, and you know his deal was. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of issues, man. He didn't really drink. He didn't do drugs. He, yeah. he, had, a, he had a straight job. You know, and he would just hang out with all of us, like, loser musician kids, you know, that, that had no response. And he would just be like, he would show up and he would do it. But the great thing about him was he had no, there was no, like, there was huge ego. But there was, like, kind of, like, no pride. Like, he would just walk in and he would do and say and act any way he wanted right you know and, and, and people would just stand around him and go dude what are what is going on <laughs> who is this cat oh. he was funny man he was a cool dude man he, he was, was a really cool, cool guy he was, yeah, cool. He was, he was a cool, cool guy dude. him and um bobby load were great front men you remember bobby load of course i remember bobby man yeah yeah, yeah. bobby and i had gone way back as well man he you know would... when i when i had when i had the the glam rock thing for me lasted maybe about a year not even you know like i got i got really tired of that quickly so probably by the time i was like 17 18 years old i had stopped and i started to sing and play my own music and uh and that's when i you know i started playing more of like a punk thing mm -hmm. but the style of punk that, that that i was doing at the time was more based on like the minister soda sound so i was really heavily influenced by bands like replacements and husker do and uh and you know early soul asylum and stuff like that and so even though the band that i was in you know in fronting we were we were punk rock we were kind of like a really fast version of tom petty <laughs> and so Bob, so Bob, you know, and Bobby Lowe, you know, Lowe, they were like, they were true punk rock. They were like, you know, skate, you know, that they were, they were a little bit more on the hardcore thing. So, you know, I always felt, you know, me and Bobby always had a, had a little, 
weird relationship. He thought I was a poser. What? <laughs> well, I mean, in a in a in a in a relative way, you know what I mean? Because I had, you know, again, they were like the underground hardcore band, and and I was, you know, long hair and fast and punk rock, really poppy, and uh, and doing all that stuff. So I always felt like, man, you know, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't as testosterone driven and hardcore as those cats. Oh man, he was crazy. Uh, he, I used to. There is a. Uh thrift store that I would go into sometimes and I think it's still there where he would do you remember or Deco or something uh, I think it's called something oh uh, maybe Vintage Diversity oh okay and he would work in there and uh, uh, he he was he was really cool he would he would come and wherever the Boo Daddies were playing he would do a um, a punk version of uh, Long Tall Sally. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we had gone way back because I used to be in a band that used to rehearse back in like maybe, oh man, I want to say like 91, 92, when South Beach was still kind of bohemian and underground. And they had all those those uh, those alternative clubs like the Kitchen and Club New and Beirut and the Junkyard. Jones, I think I remember there was a club called Jonestown. Anyway, that's when I first met Bobby. Because Bobby was playing drums in uh, in a band called wow. Insanity Assassin. <clears throat> wow. Didn't know he played drums. And we, yeah, and we hooked up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how I met him as a drummer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then we hung out with, you know, him. I mean, I was a little bit more friendly. I mean, I was, you know, definitely much more buddies with, with, uh, with Jeff Tucci their guitar player that passed away he was very very nice man he was really yeah, he was cool a, yeah. yeah he was a good dude yeah he was a good dude he was a really good dude he his guitar was interesting too and it's and it's uh it's hanging up at the poorhouse mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah he had that really great punk guitar sound you know like a buzz saw Oh, it was yeah. really, yeah, it was really distorted, really cut through, really, really, really you know, really overdriven. It's good, it's good stuff, man. I hit you between the face, you know. All right, we're back here with Mr. Dubin. Yay. So, um, what is the most important part of your musical life? Um, shortly after, I guess you said around 18 years old? Yeah, I mean, you know, from, from the time I was like 18 till, till probably about 30, you know, it was just kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of partying, a lot of punk rock, you know, loud, playing the part, you know, music definitely sort of took a backseat to, to, uh, to portraying the role of somebody in a band, you know, um, I think that was the most important thing to me when I was younger. You know, it was being in a band more so than actually putting the work of being a musician and a songwriter. I think it wasn't until I, I got a little older and, uh, you know, the songs started to slow down and I kind of got out of punk rock and I bought some acoustic guitars and I started, you know, actually writing music, you know, writing songs and listening, you know, going back and listening to a lot of stuff that, you know, my my parents listened to and my mom listened to and uh and realizing the the 
you know, that common denominator between uh, music like Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings and, and, and Buck Owens, and then seeing that lineage uh, to bands like Black Flag and the Circle Jerks. Hmm. Um, you know? What, um, what is your songwriting process like now? Do you, do you write the chords first? Do you write a poem first? Do you, do you concentrate on the lyrics first? Is it stream of consciousness? How, how, what's your process? It's always, it's, it's always pretty much been stream of consciousness. I've never been, uh, you know, I'm always amazed at, at, at songwriters like Paul Simon or Steve Earle even, you know, where they have these like stories, you know, and they can actually like little mini novellas in their, uh, in their songs. For me, it's just stream of consciousness. I pick up the guitar, I noodle with it. I start banging out a couple chords and then from there it just goes. And then I'll, I usually write everything, uh, within 30 minutes, you know? Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then, you know, of course you go, it's like, it's like having a baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you, 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 you bust it out. It's there. And then you start, you know, dressing it up. You know, so sometimes for me, I may write a song in 30 minutes, but it's not necessarily to me. I'm not completely satisfied till maybe a couple weeks or a couple months later. Hmm. Um, you know, when you marinate it, you're like, oh, instead of an E minor, I'll put like an E minor sevenths. And, you know, I'm really into uh, the way the words fit rhythmically. You know, so maybe there's two syllables, maybe there's one syllable, maybe I can make that, you know, so I'm always playing with that stuff. But hmm. on the initial run, no, it's about 30 minutes. 30 minutes for a song, and how many songs do you have? Oh my God, too many. Yeah? <laughs> the guys in the band, yeah, yeah, the guys, you know, I've been playing with uh, uh, George Hernandez, my guitar player, and The Honest Liars. He's been with me for, he's almost like... 15 years now 20 years yeah about 20 years and uh whenever we're in bands whenever we're in a band together because we were in Los Diablos together and yeah. uh yeah he would get mad you know he would he's the one that whole you know kind of puts the reins in on me because we'll have a full set of music and the band will learn it and then we'll get ready to record or something and then while we're rehearsing for that I'll come in with another 20 songs <laughs> And George is like, bro, you got to settle down. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little irritating. Tell, tell, tell me about your uh, band and the musicians that you play with. So right now I'm in a band called The Honest Liars, and uh, it's uh, these guys are amazing. Um, you know, I got George Hernandez playing guitar, uh, Tom Stankis playing the lap steel and guitar. Yeah. Uh, Dan Bonebreak plays bass. And then uh, Andre Serafini plays drums, and um, you know sometimes, uh, sometimes you know we 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 also um, hang out with uh, Steve Coppoletti. He plays drums for us sometimes too. And I mean, it's it's kind of like you know we have a core group of people, but um, wonderful musicians, you know, really really good. Dude, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I had um, you know kind of put guitars down for a while and, and stopped playing music. Um, for maybe about two or three years after Los Diablos broke up. Yeah. And uh, Rob Elba had called me and said, uh, and, and asked me if uh, Los Diablos, if I was willing to give, uh, every year there's a Dan Hosker 
musical kind of uh, terrible event that goes on. Mm-hmm. He's got uh, Rob Elba put together a foundation uh, for a friend of ours that had passed away. And so every year since his passing, uh, Rob will put something together and put a big show together. And, uh, and a couple years ago, he had decided that he was going to release uh, uh, like a companion CD and have uh, all the bands that were participating add uh, give like an unreleased track of one of their bands. So he asked me to do that with Los Diablos, and, and of course I said I'd be more than happy to. And then he had said, well, one of the caveats, though, is if you're going to be on the record, you're going to have to play live. Cool. <laughs> and I was like, dude, yeah. Well, at the time, it was, you know, I was like, dude, I haven't played in like two years, and wow. a couple years, and I don't even have a band, and I, I don't know if I'm really into that. And he was like, just shut up and do it. Is, um, so. is that your first time quitting music? Um, and w- you don't have to say why if you don't want to, but, you know, why did you... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, to me, um, I, I think, you know, there comes a time when, when, when you're, you're doing something for so long and you gotta sort of reprioritize everything and, and, and sometimes I think, you know, at least for me, I need a little bit of a break. To me... Music stopped, you know, going from music being um, a social entity mm-hmm. where it really wasn't about the importance of the song as it was about the importance of being in a band and then graduating from that and going to, okay, now it's about the business, right? I'm in a band, I'm going to write songs, I'm going to record, we're going to go out on tour, we're going to get a record deal and we're going to make a little bit of money and that's going to be you know, what's going to happen. And then you realize you're really not making much cash. (laughs) You're going on the road. You know, you're not making any money. The van's breaking down. The rent isn't getting paid. You don't own a car. You know, you haven't now, you know, you're starting to build a family. I had a a couple kids. And so then, you know, it became, I don't, I don't know if this is such a great idea anymore. Yeah. You know, and then when you stop, you know, I think that, you know, for somebody like me, when, when you stop kind of partying and you start to settle down, you start to get a little older and you're like, why do I want to be on the road for 300 days? And then the music business changed. Yeah. You know, and when the business changed and uh, in Los Diablos, we were working on, on, uh, on some record deals and we had some pretty solid management. And that was right about the time that the record companies were in a state of flux. They didn't know how to how to pay. You know, they didn't know what their con- contract should be structured like because of all the downloading and the streaming and all of that stuff. So, uh, you know, when I when I sat down, I the I have identical twin daughters. They're twelve now, and so when they were born, uh, when they were getting ready to be born, it was just kind of like one of those things of like, I you know, there's no money. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no money I'm not really partying the fun of it I gotta you know so you, you sort of take some time off plus it became like a job you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't about having fun it was like alright this is this is what we have to do I have to play music because I have to get a record deal because I have to make some money and I have to you know get on the billboard charts and if I don't then somehow my whole life is gonna be wasted yeah Right. And then, yeah. you know, it took it took a while to, to get off of that to where now 
I'm at a place where I love playing and I love writing and the guys that I'm playing in a band with I adore and none of and all of us have had some varying degrees of success with of course Dan Bonebreak being you know the one that's had the most success out of all of us but 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 it's such a brilliant free kind of feeling to actually get to play music and not care <laughs> not care how many people come to the shows not care about a record deal not care about going on tour not care about releasing a record just playing because you love to play yeah you know it's and uh, that's something that I've never really had to I've never got to experience till now and plus it's so different now the industry it's 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 more it's more <clears throat> pardon me it's more work you know it's just like constant yeah. constant constant you know work and a lot of people don't want to do it anymore or they just like throw up their hands up in the air and say that's it well i think because even when we were growing up man and we were you know through the 90s and early 2000s i think you know there was still something to be said for the fact that you could with enough perseverance and work and ethic you could cut yourself out a little bit of a niche Right. So maybe even if you weren't on the A circuit and you weren't selling out stadiums, if you cut yourself a little niche in the underground, you could you could make a living, you know, and you would go out and you could play for a couple months or maybe six, seven, eight months out of the year and put a little money in and, and, and sort of still have a life. And nowadays, like you had said, the work load versus the uh, if you had to mathematically look at how much you have to work and the 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 return on the investment of working so hard at it mm -hmm. is diminished these days <clears throat> yeah you know and so because of that you know like i had said to me i had to uh, i had to figure out a different way of looking at it because obviously when i stopped playing it wasn't cool you know, like I was a miserable person, you know, not playing music, not being in a band, not writing songs, not singing, not performing. I mean, I was miserable, but I also didn't want to have to do that as, as a job because as a job, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to let me have a, a really live, live any particular way of life that I wanted to. You know? Yeah. So, you know, but plus, you know, listen, man, I, I was a mess when I was a kid. And I, I firmly believe that if, if anything were to have ever happened, uh, I, I probably would not have lived to, uh, to see today. I'm, I'm well, uh, I'm very secure in that thought. So everything happens for a reason. And I got to be honest, like I said, I mean, I am, I am so happy. We sit around, we, 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 we jam, we're getting ready to record a new record and, uh, it's just, it's a great, it's a great experience to be able to, uh, create music with people that you admire and respect. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, right now the honest liars, we have sort of like two different, uh, versions of us, hmm. you know, one version, we can play places like the poor house with punk rock bands and we can get, you know, loud and a little bit, uh, aggressive. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we can play like, uh, an afternoon gig at a, at a brewery and bring it down to like the old time country jukebox where, cool. you know, 
yeah so it's 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 a good thing it's cool man you know how many um how many songs are on the new record and where are you recording it at we're probably gonna do uh we're probably gonna release an ep first and see how that works out i mean this whole the coronavirus got us all jacked up you know because we were ready to finish it and um, we were going into, uh, if you know Fernie from The Shack down in Hialeah, uh, Fernie's a, a singer guy and a guitar player for Humbert. Okay. And he runs his own, they got their own studio called The Shack North, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of bands go to record there. They're amazing, and he's amazing, and uh, and so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna head in there and, and finish it up, and uh, you know we're probably gonna release any. I mean, like I said, we were getting ready to finish it up, and then now we don't even know. It's kind of like everything's in limbo. Yeah, we don't know. You know, nobody really wants to go into a closed room studio and be sweating and sneezing and coughing. <laughs> singing backup vocals next to each other in one mic while somebody's spitting in my face is not, you know, something I'm... That. What a mess this is, isn't it? It's it's insane. It's but a God, movie. You, you know, I, like, I sat around for, like, a week, and I was so, like, distraught. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I just downloaded, like, I went on one of those guitar uh, websites, the guitar tabs, you know, mm-hmm. and I downloaded, like, I think I'm at 89 songs. <laughs> Just like learning every song I ever heard in my life. <laughs> what are some of your favorite uh, shows you've played, and where were they? Uh, you know, man, I've played so many shows. I, I think some of the standouts are things that maybe felt a little bit more part of, of something. I, I know that... Um, I really enjoy playing those Dan Hosker music continuums that, that, that Rob Elba and, and Flasto and those cats throw every year. Those are so amazing because it's the community of musicians getting together and, you know, 15, 20 bands will play all day and everybody does like, you know, three songs and it's like 15 minute round robins and those are always super cool. Tell, uh, tell, the, tell the people if they don't know who uh, Dan Hosker is. Dan was a guitar player from a band called the Holy Terrors, but I mean, he also had, a, you know, that was like his his bread and butter, so to speak. But uh, he was also in a, in a bunch of other bands, and he was just this amazing musician, guitar player, and and, and a super sweet guy. And uh, and unfortunately, a few years ago, he had passed away. <clears throat> and uh, you know, he was one of I think maybe, uh, and, and I don't want to sound. Uh, I hope I'm not forgetting anything, but he was one of the first guys that all of us were like super close to that had passed away. He was like one of the first ones, um, you know, in in our later years, you know, that that had passed away. And I think that you know, Rob really was moved by it, and he decided that he wanted to do something to remember his friend by. That's nice. And then, really yeah, nice. and then what happened was, you know, eventually it became a, a every year thing, and then. You know, it's it's kind of cool to get together with a bunch of people that you kind of grew up with, but we don't really see each other anymore. And you get to go and and you go. So those shows are always cool. Um, I like to do I like to do singer songwriter shows sometimes. Get away from the band. Yeah. And uh, and um, I like when you do do those too. Yeah, yeah. It's cool because what I try to do is if I'm going to do something like that. I like to grab some people that normally don't do solo shows, mm-hmm. 
and give us something different, you know, get them away from their bands and get them away from the protective background and be like, all right, dude, now it's just you and the guitar. Let me hear what you got. <laughs> and, uh, bros, I mean, we've got some great songwriters down here, man. Yeah. I mean, really good stuff. And right now, me, uh, Pat Stahl, who's a singer, guitar player from the Shakers, which is one of my favorite punk bands, Dan Bonebreak, which plays bass for, for the Honest Liars, but he also uh, plays bass, and uh, he had played bass in Gray and Orange, <clears throat> and, um, and, uh, couple other bands he plays guitar and sings and and you know writes his own stuff too which is amazing uh so him dan pat and uh, rob elba from you know the holy terrors and shark valley sisters and stuff hmm. we the four of us uh every about four or five months put on a a show and what we do is we uh we'll play solo sets the four of us will play solo sets for about a half hour each and then we'll do a final set where the four of us will play together and we each pick out a few cover songs that we like to do. Cool. And we all jam together. Are yeah. you guys uh, doing any of those in the foreseeable future? I don't know how long this crap's going to go. <laughs> I don't but... know, man. I don't know if any of us were ever going to do anything ever again. Don't say I that. Mean, <laughs> that's where I'm at right now, dude. I'm just, that's where I've just like resigned myself. I'll be screwed. Like, <laughs> I know, you and me both, bro. We'll both be working at Publix. That's cool. Man, you probably will be working at Publix. I'll probably work in a Dollar General or... Uh... <laughs> Listen, man, with my background, dude, I will. I, I don't think I can get a job anywhere other than uh, other than restaurants right now, so I'm screwed. Um, let's see. Tell us about um, some... Uh, what's something that the public and your fans and friends don't know about yourself that you're willing to share like it, uh, if you have any other hobbies do you do you have a dandelion garden do you <laughs> do you do you collect uh lighthouses and little ponies you know man i'm gonna be honest i think that uh I've always had a really loud mouth since I was a kid. <laughs> and because I've always had a loud mouth, my, you know, if anybody ever wanted to know anything, I think it's pretty much, I can't hide from anything. You know what I mean? Like, there's not much, uh, yeah, I don't really have anything that nobody knows. It's all pretty much out there. Hmm. I wish there was. I wish there was. But, you know, like I said, when you have a loud mouth, it's really difficult to... Uh, to sort of hide things. I don't know. Maybe, uh... I don't know. No. Do you have, really. like, a toenail collection or something like that? That's fucking weird. <laughs> uh, I think my dad might. I don't know. <laughs> it's, that's a, I don't know. Toenail collection seems like... Very 70s. Do you, uh... Do you have any regrets in, uh, life? No. Wow. I think cool. if you asked me, I think if you asked me five years, ten years ago, you know, fifteen years ago, maybe I would tell you, probably. But no, man, no. There's no, there's no regret. You can't, you can't really regret things. Man. <clears throat> I mean, uh, you know, there's uh, life is, is is strange, man, and it's weird, and I'm grateful that I survived because, like I said, you know, anybody who knows me and has followed me at all knows that you know my early years were. We're wrapped in a lot of, uh, 
you know, self-destruction and self-deprecation and, and, and a lot of craziness. And so to be able to survive and come out on the end and, and be a 47-year-old singer-songwriter that's still uh, a little relevant in the, in the, in the music business and, and on the scene, and be a father to amazing children and, uh, and, uh, and be a, a friend to people that, that, uh, that are around me. I think that's, uh, how can you regret that? There you go, buddy. I just wanted to say, um, you're a stand-up dude, wonderful songwriter, and, uh, you're a legend to me and other people. And, um, just wanted to say thanks for being on my podcast. And, uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me. I always, you know, again, not to, not to sound that way, but, uh, you know, you and I have a, have a big history and, uh, you know, it's, it's super cool. You know, like I said, considering you as a friend, you know, and, and, and watching you and your talent and things like that to say, wow, this cat, you know, uh, is a friend of mine. That's an amazing thing. You know, so I really do appreciate it. It means a lot to me that you would uh, think of me and ask of course. me as someone interesting to speak to. Normally we would cool. do this in person, but, uh, you know, it's all right. no, no hugging. Um, can no. you... <laughs> Can you plug your uh, social media outlets? Yeah, well, I got the uh, the Honest Liars is the band, and you can find us on Facebook at, uh, at at the Honest Liars, and I think on Instagram we're at the Honest Liars official, and I think we have Twitter is at Panic Creek, uh, and that's that's about it, man. You know, we'll find some music there. Uh, you can find some links to the to some of the songs, uh, some of the older stuff, and then we've got the new stuff coming. Coming soon. Yes, it will, my friend. Yeah, man. It will. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mr. Mark Dubin, for hanging with us on Peace, Love, and Hot Sauce. And everybody stay safe. Don't hoard the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a jerk oh and God. throw your mask and gloves on the floor. Be good people. I just saw that the other day. <laughs> and see you later. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome out to another quarantine edition of Peace, Love, and Hot Sauce. And on the phone with me today is Mr. Mark Teleska. How are you doing, buddy? Feeling good. You feeling good? You feeling all right? Feeling all right, and I am feeling a little, uh, little claustrophobic here in my house. Are you? <laughs> it's been, I've been in them for a long time, like like a lot of other people. Right. Um, so let's start off at the beginning. Um, how old were you when music came into your life, and where did you grow up? Well, um... Uh, you know, I was born in Brooklyn, and I did some growing up in Queens. And then um, the, the family, the family all moved us out to uh, the family moved us all out to Long Island um, when I was a, when I was a kid. And uh, you know, and I went to, I went into public school, and uh, when I was like in maybe the fifth grade or fourth fifth grade. Um, we, uh, got introduced to, um, band instruments, um, you know, 
started to be in like the, uh, the the grammar school band. You know, that's when everybody got introduced. Some kids were going into athletics, some kids were going into art, some kids were going into, you know, you know, music. You know, back then, growing up, being in, in school in the nineteen, you know, nineteen sixties, early nineteen seventies, there were tons and tons and tons of programs. Uh, inside public schools, right? You know, all of that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you can, you know, tons and tons of different clubs, and and schools were big. You know, the schools were big, man. I went to school. There was like twelve hundred kids. My brain, you know, it was crazy. But they were cities. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I introduced to uh, you know. Uh, music at pretty much at that, at that age, and then I was uh, made to play the trumpet. My my parents made me play the trumpet because I had an uncle who played the trumpet. Wow! Do you and still play the trumpet? He was, he was well, me. Yeah. I really cared. I never really cared for it. Man. I never really cared for the trumpet. Hmm. But um, you know, back then. Nobody asked the kids what they wanted to do. Everybody just did what they were told. You know what I mean? Nobody asked you, hey, what do you want to do? Or what's your opinion on this? Or, you know, everybody, everybody, I don't know. That was my bringing up. We all just did what we were told. We were told what we were going to do. We wanted to ask what we would like to do. What, uh, how old were you when you picked up the bass? I don't know if people know this, but the, but the, uh, you're an amazing bass player. How, how old were you when you picked that up? I didn't. I didn't start playing in bass until I was probably about twenty-four years old, twenty, twenty-three years old. What? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I just wanted to be in a band, and um, you know, there were no lessons. Um, you know, my, my, you know, we were kind of broke. You know, there was we didn't. You know. Mom and dad didn't pay for any kind of music lessons or anything like that, you know, growing up. I just got everything, whatever I got, I got for free, you know, and, and whatever education I got. And uh, the kids in the neighborhood were starting a band. And, um, you know, and and there was a, a old Hofner, bay, I didn't think it was a Hofner, it was a Hofner-style bass. Uh, laying around because everybody back then was a was huge Beatles fan, and um, there was no 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 kids in the neighborhood who could who could play. So um, I played this borrowed bass in a huge in, in in like this cover local neighborhood band. That was pretty much my introduction to it, and I was like, oh, this is cool, you know. And that's that's how that all got started. So what, what, yeah. what did you do between, between when you were learning the trumpet and twenty three, twenty four when you picked up the bass? What did you do between those years? Well, nothing really. I delivered furniture, huh. and um, you know, um, I had a guitar, six string guitar, and I, I strummed it in like this church group. That I was kind of part of, and uh, you know, I was just kind of, you know, yeah, I wasn't really doing much of anything. I, 
I was told I wasn't college material, so I never bothered to go at that point in my life. I went later in my life. I went back to college to get my degrees. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I just kind of like, you know, delivered furniture and, uh, you know, worked, uh, you know, in a, I washed the dishes. I did, you know, shit like that. Just, you know, kind of like, you know, lost soul kind of guy. Didn't know what he was going to do, looking for a direction. And then when I found the base, that's really when things started to, you know, I went up with, with some direction in my life. Who, at uh, least for, for a short period of time. Who did, who, uh, who, whose bass playing did you look up to at the initial uh, start? I started doing, um, you know, like Paul McCartney bass lines, oh. and, and uh, you know, po- you know, popular things of the day that I could handle. Um, you know, the Allman Brothers stuff. It was a little bit at the time it was a little bit too complex for me. I couldn't really wrap my head around it. Um, so, but uh, you know, all that. You know, you know, I saw her standing there, and I want to hold your hands, and all those kind of like pop tunes that had like uh, a little blues, a little '50s stuff in it. I was able to, uh, I was able to, you know, grab. So that was uh, that was pretty much where I where I really started, and then I just started getting into, you know, groove guys. You know, I started, you know, listening to guys like you know, you know, James Brown. Right. You know. Yeah. James Jameson. And then, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. And, and even the James Jameson stuff was like, at this point in my life, it was like way beyond, way beyond me. I mean, I heard Jocko's record. I mean, I couldn't even. I I, I had in 1976 he put out, you know, his his solo record. I mean, I couldn't even like grasp it. It was just like a foreign <laughs> language from out of space for me at the time. <laughs> studio and a hang place than a recording studio nice. but i have an old five i have an old five disc uh cd changer in there that i i keep it pretty much loaded with with jazz and i have guys in there like mingus and and um, horace silver and jock the jocko uh, for stories record is uh is in there too so actually i just kind of like put that on it's all instrumentals in there so when i want to come up and uh Veg out. I just put that kind of stuff on. When um, did you just listening to it before you called? Did you um start singing at the same time that you picked up the bass, or did that come later in your life? Yeah, yeah. I kind of started singing a little bit. You know, I never had a singing routine or anything like that. I just do what I do. You know. Well, it's uh, yeah. So I just started singing. pushing my way through songs and trying to sing harmonies and it was pretty rough in the beginning believe me well it's hard singing anyways and just put uh the bass on top of that because the bass is a really important instrument and then you you know you sing and you play bass so that's (laughs) i commend you for that because that's really hard well 
you know, it's not like anything else. You, you know, you have to learn one thing. First of all, you know, you can only think of one thought at a time. That's just the way the mind works. You can't think of two things at the same time. So one of those things has to become automatic. You can't think about your baseline and singing the song and the lyrics of the song and the chord change. You can't think of all these things at the same time. So you got to learn something that's just going to be automatic. So depending on the song, sometimes it was the lyric. I just learned the lyric, learned the lyric, and just kept singing it over and over and listening and listening and listening until I got it. And then I could sing the song and concentrate on the bass. So one of those, or I did it opposite. I would just learn the bass line, learn the bass line, learn the bass line, and then, and then learn the vocal. Because, you know, you, you can't really think of two things at the same time, you know? Yeah. So, um, but nowadays, you know, nowadays, you know, I've been doing it so long that, uh, you know, it just sort of, I just sort of do it. You know what I mean? I don't have to think about it. But in the, but in the beginning, it was something, something that I had to be practiced, for sure.